So we're moving into the book of Ephesians. And if we want to talk about how to be the church, this book probably is one of the best books to help us to understand this. Now, today we're going to sort of do it in, in, in sort of probably two parts because I need to give you an overview first in setting up what's going to happen over the next five or six weeks so that we can sort of understand where it's coming from. So sort of a little bit of a history lesson at first. Hope you don't mind that. Just setting the scene so we know exactly where it's coming from. And then we get, today I'm going to move into Ephesians 1. Now, I could tell you this, that um, I could have given a sermon, a message on every verse. It's such an amazing book. But we would have been here for several years and uh, to, before we would have got through it all. So we've decided we're just going to do, um, you know, about, it's about six messages in this sermon, sorry, in this series. And so um, we'll start with a bit of a background first. Now, last year um, I had the privilege and I talked to several people and they've also had the privilege of going to Ephesus, which is in Turkey. Now, Ephesus now is, is a place of ruins and um, the, the actual town, and it's really quite amazing to walk through this city, this, this ancient city, and get a sense of the fact that, you know, we are reading today a letter that was written to these people in this town. And Ian and I sat down in the marketplace um, and, and read the whole book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians from beginning to end and captured a sense of what Paul was saying to these people. So this city was, ve- was a thriving centre. It was cosmopolitan. It was a capital of the Roman proconsular Asia of that time. And it was, it, it was absolutely a thriving metropolis for the time. And it was also the headquarters of the um, cult of Artemis, and they worship the goddess Diana. And this, um, if we go back there, Cameron, just for a moment to the beginning, um, that is the temple, and it was actually one of the, or the ruins from the temple, it was one of the wonders of the ancient world, the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so this was a place where was, there was a temple to, to Hadrian. There was lots of people there worshipped um, pagan gods. And that's the sort of place it was. And as we go through this, you'll see what the city was like. There was, um, you know, of the ruins. That's that's sort of walking down the main, not, you know, down the street, seeing this is what the city would have been like. Of course, the ruins of it are there. You can just see some of those while I'm talking. But it's interesting that this time that we look, when the letters to the Ephesians was written, we need, we cannot look at Ephesians without looking at Acts. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to just... Turn your Bibles to Acts 18, 19, and 20. I'm not going to read them all, but I just want you to look at it so that maybe you can go back to it later and understand that this is when this church began in Ephesus. It was in Acts chapter 18. It was in 52 AD, 52 years after Jesus had had, um, risen from the dead. And so here we have this church being started by Paul, and it by chapter 19, you see that it's just growing. Paul was there for about three years. And in that time, he really preached the gospel. And many Jews and Greeks believed. In fact, probably most of the people heard the message about Jesus. And many of them believed. It was quite incredible. Now, the interesting thing is that if you look at chapter 19, just have a look. I'm not going to read it. But you'll see there's a, there's a part there that says the riot in Ephesus. 
And uh, that part goes on to tell a story about how the Christians had been standing up and, and teaching this truth and this riot erupted because they, the people, this guy called Demetrius, who was a silversmith, he started saying, you know, they are preaching against, they're bringing down the goddess Diana. They are, they're bringing down our, the, um, you know, this worship of Artemis. And so therefore, they got them into the amphitheater, if we can go to that, Cameron, there, and that was an amazing place. You could actually stand right just sort of over here in the center and, and speak and your voice just absolutely amplified. You didn't, wouldn't have needed a microphone. And one lady, while we were actually stood and sang, and this amazing, she had a beautiful voice, and, and it just filled the whole amphitheater. They said they would seat up to 30,000 people in there. And so they dragged them into the amphitheater there, and here in this place they, were, they wanted to kill them because they were speaking out against this cult of Artemis, this goddess Diana. And uh, the only reason that they were... Sp- it's spared is that one of the leaders there said, look, if we have a riot, Rome's going to be down on us. We're going to be in trouble. So let's, let's just use the law to try and get rid of these people. Let's do what we can to get rid of them, but let's do it through means of the law. And so they did actually stay their execution at that time so that because they were scared of Rome um, coming and because they were rioting. And so that's the story in, in chapter 19 of Acts. And then we go into chapter 20 and we see that Paul's on his third missionary journey and he, he comes back to uh, visit the people. This time he, does, he, dis- he feels that he shouldn't go to Ephesus. So he just goes to a place slightly south called Miletus and he calls the Ephesian leaders to him and he speaks to them. Now it's very interesting what he says to them. You'd think, here's this church that's grown up in the midst of opposition. It's interesting how the church thrives when there's opposition because people realize the power of God at work in the face of opposition. And so he calls these leaders together and what he, wants, what he says to them, you would think he's going to talk to them to warn them because he actually gives them a warning. And you'd think that he'd be going to say to them now, you've got to be really careful about these people who follow other gods. You've got to really watch what you, you know, you're teaching, that you don't allow them to infiltrate it. And so you've got this, this, this incredible um, warning from Paul, but it's actually nothing about the opposition. Have a look at verses, chapter 20, verses 28 to 32. And this is very interesting. It says, And now beware, a warning, be sure that you feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his blood, over whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. So he's speaking to the leaders and he says, I know full well, here's the warning, that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave not sparing the flock. Even some of you will distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. It's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we've got, we, we're sort of looking for the very obvious way that Satan might get at us and attack us. And yet of, sometimes it's the least obvious way. We have to have our eyes open. We have to be careful. And here he's saying is from right in amongst you, this could rise up and, and become a problem and bring the church down. And so it's a warning there. Paul's leaving for the elders and saying, be careful. But what he does say in verse 32 is this. And now I entrust you to God. This is the last time he speaks to the Ephesian elders Later in, in 62 AD, 10 years later, we get the letter to the Ephesians. But this is the last time he sees them. 
And he says, I entrust you to God and the message of his grace, that he is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Paul emphasizes to the people and reminds them, you can have complete confidence in the word of God. Complete confidence in his word. Because in the face of opposition, this will build you up and remind you of the inheritance that you have through him. And you know, it's no different for us. All the church needs to be equipped. All that we need is the word of God. The word of God, it speaks the truth. And when we hear the truth, we know how to live. We know how to stand when we have the truth of the word of God. And it will build us up. And it will give us an inheritance with all of those who have been set apart for Christ. His word enables you to take a hold of the things that God has for you. And then in 62, as I said, Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians. He's now in jail. And he's writing to the Ephesians to try and encourage them about their faith and who, the, who they are, whose they are, what they have in Christ. And if we look over, the, uh, just give a quick overview of the whole letter, and it's really important actually, I ask you, go home and just sit down and read, because it wasn't meant to be put into chapters, it was actually like a letter, and it was just written as one. So sometime over these next weeks, sit down and read the whole letter as it was meant to be received. It was a letter written to the church to help believers understand who we are in Christ so that we can be the church. The church, when it's at its best, that's when we're allowing Christ to be in us everything that he wants to be, is an expression now of what eternity will be like. It's sort of a glimpse into where history is heading. It's by our love for one another as followers of Jesus that the world will get to know what Jesus is like. It's through the church, when it's being what it should be, that people can see what, who Jesus is, what he is like, what he's come to do and how he can be victorious in every circumstance. It's the best defense for the gospel. But when that happens, when we are being what we should be, we're going to come under attack. It's inevitable. Satan does not want people to see the church at its best because he knows, he knows that people will be drawn to it. They won't be able to resist it when it's at its best. And what will happen is when people are drawn to the church, they'll hear the message of the gospel of the good news and they won't be able to help but respond to it because it's such good news, isn't it? So if it's difficult to be the church, then it's no wonder because Satan wants to try and keep us back from that. And so Paul goes on in this letter to say, but remember this battle is not against people. This battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against Rulers, authorities, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are not fighting people. Our enemy is Satan and he wants to stop us. He doesn't want the church to be formed and he doesn't want it to grow. He doesn't want us to be the church in the way that Christ wants us to be. 
And so Paul goes on to say we need to put on the armour of God so that we can stand. The battle's already been won and when we put on the armour then we can be safe in the midst of the battle. And it's in him that the battle to be the church is won. So that's the message of Ephesians. Very simply, you'll hear it expanded a lot more over the coming weeks. But I want to begin with chapter 1. And so I'll ask you all to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 if you have them there. There's some in the foyer if you don't. And I'm going to ask you all to stand while we read the Word of God this morning. It's going to just take a couple of minutes, but it's important that we read the Word of God. This letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. It is written to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May grace and peace be yours, sent to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, and this gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the wonderful kindness he has poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved son. He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son and our sins are forgiven. He has showered us, he showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God's secret plan has now been revealed to us. It is a plan centered on Christ, designed long ago according to his good pleasure. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because of Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us from the beginning and all things happen just as he decided long ago. God's purpose was that we who were first to trust in Christ should praise our glorious God. And now you also have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. Ever since I first heard of you and your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for Christians everywhere, I have never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, so that you can understand the wonderful future he has promised to those he called. I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his people. I pray that you'll begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world or in the world to come. 
And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and he gave him this authority for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is filled by Christ who fills everything everywhere with his presence. Amen. Amen. Praise God. That's the word of the Lord. Such truth, such depth in those passages. It's just so much there to explore. But I'm just going to look at a couple of things this morning. The first one is in chapter 1, verse 3. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We have everything that we need to be the church because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, notice that is past tense. He has blessed us. It's not something he's going to do in the future one day in the sweet by and by that he's going to bless us with every spiritual blessing. It's already happened. He has already done it. We are already blessed with every spiritual blessing. It's done. It's complete. This is a bit similar to what God said to Joshua when he was going into the promised land. He was going into the promised land and and God said to him, I've already given you the land. It's already yours. They weren't even there. It was inhabited by someone else. They didn't possess it. They didn't own it. And God says, it's yours. It's already yours. And it's the same for us. He said, I have already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And what Joshua had to do was he had to go in and possess the land. It was already his. He just had to take it. And it's the same for us. We already have it. We just have to take a hold of it. We just have to possess it in our lives because it's already been given to us. We have to rid ourselves. He's saying every spiritual blessing. We've been blessed with this. We are rich. We are rich in him. And we have to rid ourselves of this impoverished mentality that we walk around feeling that we just haven't got enough or haven't got what we need. I'm not talking about prosperity here. I'm not saying about being rich necessarily with money or with possessions. You know, I'm not talking here about what car you drive or what house you live in or what suburb you live in. We mustn't misunderstand what Paul is saying here from God. He's saying, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. The the thing is that temporal things will pass away. They can be gone like that. But every spiritual blessing, everything that you need, you have already when you believe in Christ. And if you don't believe, you can have if you believe in him. And the interesting thing is that our spiritual blessing that we already have, this is what we have, it's safe. You know, our temporal things are open to the thief. They're open to being, to, to erode, eroding away. Things can just over time, you know, you, you have something precious and then you go back. I went to get a, you know, a, um, a, a top to wear the other day and then I noticed there was a hole in it. You know, just something obviously had got into it, started eating it away. And so these temporal things that we have, they're very easily and quickly can be gone. A thief can come in and steal. But in fact, these things are protected. They are safe in heaven. And the thief cannot come in and destroy. The thief cannot steal this from us because it's actually protected by God himself. And so Satan says he's like a thief going around trying to see what he can destroy and take. 
But when we have this, this spiritual blessing we have is protected. And he might think he can take it, but he can't. It's already done. It's not like when we get into trouble that Christ suddenly gets up and thinks, oh, my goodness, Mel's in trouble. I've got to think, what can I do for her now? Or, you know, Peter's in trouble. What am I going to do to try and get him out of trouble? He's already done it. And in fact, not only that, after he'd done it, God raised him up and he is seated at the right-hand side of God. So he's already done it and then he's, now he's sat down because it's done. You sit down when the job's done, don't you? It's finished, you can sit down because it's done. Well, Christ is seated. It is already done. The work is done. We don't have to go praying and wondering is, you know, if God's going to do this for us. He's done it. And what he is saying is that now he has put this within you and now what you have to do is outwork it. It's in you and now it's time to outwork it. Now my job's not quite done, so I'll stand up and um, we'll just finish off. So the letter to the Ephesians reminds us that in Christ alone, we sing that song, in Christ alone we have redemption and forgiveness And only through his death and resurrection are we able to have the wisdom and understanding to be the church. It's interesting last night, and what Andy's talking about this morning in in communion is so important. We remember what God has done, but it's not just the dying on the cross, it's that he rose. And I saw Jesus Christ Superstar, and the scene ends with um, Jesus on the cross. And... um, Sandra, you were amazing in the orchestra, and Ruby was a dancer. They did a great job, but I was—I couldn't watch as they whipped Jesus, and I couldn't, you know. It just—I thought, you know, it's all right. You could look at that if it was just a musical, but I have a relationship with Jesus, and so to see him there. But you know what? I—we're going to take an ad out in the paper and say Jesus Christ Superstar. That's not the end of the story. Come to our Easter and hear about the resurrection of Jesus, where he rose from the dead and defeated death and sin and sickness, and we can live forever in the truth of that. So let's not let the story in there. We have to remember who we are and what we stand in, and we stand in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. And so then we become a picture to the world of what God is doing in eternity. And in these first 14 verses of Ephesians, God reveals his will for us and for the church. And then we go on for the final verses from verses 15 to 23. Now, as I said, those first 14, I've just pointed out verse 3. There's another um, 13 verses there that you need to just wait on God for yourself. But as we go to the second part of this chapter, verses 15 to 23, Paul then, it's a prayer. So he's, he's shown us what Jesus has done for us and what that means. And then he prays now, and this is what he prays. He prays that those who are in Christ, that's the Ephesian then and us now, might come into a greater understanding of what we already possess. He wants us to understand what we possess in him. He prays for us to know the hope of our calling. He prays for us to know what God has in mind when he calls us, that God had in mind when he called us. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know not what we have in God, but what God has in us. 
God has put this in us and he wants us to know that. Do you know that God has put an inheritance in you? He has put something in you. And you have to know that you are valuable. That you, that the weakness you may think is overwhelming and the troubles of your past, underneath all of that he's buried a treasure. And he wants to clear all that off so that that treasure can rise in you and you can take a hold of this inheritance. He wants you to know that you are carrying something of great value. The riches of his inheritance for all the saints. Not just certain people, but for every one of us. So, once you've received Christ, you can't go around saying you're a nothing. Because you have everything. You can't go around saying that you're, you're not worth much. God's put a treasure in you. And he's going to come back one day and claim that. And then in these final verses, Paul brings the message home by reminding us how much power there is in us who believe. This is the power of God to be the church. Look at verses 18 and 19. He prays that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. He prays that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Now in some translations, they say the exceeding greatness of this power or the immeasurable power or the surpassing power. These words cannot contain an understanding of how great this power is. What what the translation is trying to give you a sense of is how immeasurable it is, how infinite it is. It's limitless, this power of God. And he wants us to know that this power is at work in us who believe. Now, you might think, what is the mightiest power on the earth? Was it the power that was unleashed in the atomic bomb? Recently, we've seen cyclones, unfortunately, Pam destroying Vanuatu. Nothing like Pam to wreak havoc somewhere. But anyway, uh, the fact is that, you know, the power of it... I was talking to my sister who was in the Rockhampton one in the, right in the middle of it, and she said she's never been so scared in her life. The whole house, brick house, shook. And she could see their Land Rover being lifted up off the ground and down again. This is some sort of power we're talking about here. But this is nothing compared to the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. That's power. And that power is at work in us who believe. Can you believe that? That's incredible. You know, Satan did everything he could to keep Christ in the tomb. If he could have kept him from rising from the dead, he would have been triumphant. But all of his powers focused on keeping Christ dead were ineffective and Christ was raised. And that's why Paul puts these words together, trying to get us a picture of how great this power is. But you know, it's interesting, he doesn't, he, what he actually prays is that not just that we would have this power, because actually we already have it. He, he says that our eyes would be enlightened, that, uh, that our hearts will be flooded with light so we could understand what this power is. 
So that's what this message is about. We don't have to pray, Lord, give me the power to be a great mum or Lord, give me the power to share my testimony or Lord, give me the power to um, you know, serve my neighbour. We have to say, open my eyes to see how your power at work in me helps me to be a great mum or to serve my neighbour or to witness. There was this um, famous newspaper publisher, his name was William Hurst, and he spent a large amount of his money collecting art treasures from around the world. And one day he found a description of these really amazing, valuable artworks. And so he sent his people out, tracked them down around the world. I want to own them. I'll pay whatever it takes to own these art treasures. And so off they went and they came back and he said, were you able to find them? He said, well, they said, actually, we didn't have to find them, Mr. Hurst. You already own them. He didn't know what he owned. He didn't know the value that was already in his possession or what he had. And this is what Paul's saying. Open your eyes to see the power that is at work in you. The power that's in me is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. This is the power. We don't have to live defeated. We don't have to feel like everything's coming down on top of us because the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in me. May my eyes see it. May I understand how great that is. And then, finally, well, for today anyway, God's mighty power seated Christ at his right hand above all spiritual powers. God not only raised Christ from the dead, but he seated him in heaven far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Paul piles up these words, every authority, every ruler, every dominion. He's trying to say he's over everything. There's nothing, not one thing that, is, that he is not over. So whatever your challenge is, whatever your circumstance is, he's over it. It's under his feet. And just as we know that Ephesus was steeped in this pagan culture, Paul wanted the Ephesians to remember that, to to remind them that Jesus is over all this stuff. They didn't have to fear it. They didn't have to be afraid of it. Now, the interesting thing is that I'm not going to take from the next person who's preaching from Ephesians 2, but I just refer to this verse because remember it's one whole letter. And so I have to go to Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. And it says, Christ raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly realms. Sorry, I'll read that again. Raised us up with him and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So that in the ages to come, he will show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are seated in him also in that place. So all of this is under us as well. It's under our feet. You don't have to feel like it's all coming down on top of you. Because everything, everything is under his feet and we are seated in Christ. We need to realize where we are seated. And what it means, it's under him, means it's under his authority. And God really impressed this truth upon me recently. One morning I woke up and I'd had a dream. I don't have many dreams that I remember, but this dream was so vivid that when I woke, I actually thought it had happened. 
And Ian and I were driving in the dream. Ian and I were driving back from Sydney and we were coming down to the Hawkesbury River. I could see a lot of police cars screaming by and there was lights everywhere and, gra- and, and cars were being sort of slowly going across the bridge. And when it came to us, we were stopped and we were the first car to be in the lineup to be stopped. And there was a lot of commotion going on the bridge and suddenly this man was obviously an es- escaped criminal or someone, I don't know who it was, but he was dangerous and the police, that he had escaped from the police, and he was running towards our car. And he opened the door of the car, and as he stood there, I thought, he's going to come in, he's going to kill me. And so I said, stop. You cannot touch me. I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. I said, stop. The name of Jesus, stop. This was in the dream. And immediately the man, I don't know if he was floored by the fact that I said this, but, but I believe it was because we have authority. We have authority in the, and can use the name of Jesus. Well, the name of Jesus is our authority. And when we're covered by the blood of Jesus, we have authority to stop the work of evil. And as I stood, at that moment, he stopped and, of course, the police got him. And I woke up and I honestly thought that it had happened. It was so real in that instant of waking up. And over the last year, I've had a rather challenging journey with um, some health issues. Some of you know this. But I've had a lot of, a lot of uh, challenges with anxiety. Quite debilitating anxiety. And it's been often night after night. Can't sleep. Just totally destructive in its way it comes. <laughs> Ian's had to put up with it night after night. <laughs> and um, I've, I've prayed, I've had worship music going all night, I've, I've got up and prayed and really claimed, prayed for God to be with me. And, um, and then I've, I've had prayer for healing in the church and I believe that God has healed me. And then just after this dream, I was lying, I'd gone to bed and I used to get scared of going to bed because I thought as soon as my head would hit the pillow, the anxiety would come. It was just horrible. And so I wouldn't want to go to bed. I'd fall asleep on the lounge so I didn't have to go to bed and, and, and face the fact that this anxiety could come. And then after this dream had come, this, I had this dream, I would gone to bed this night and just put my head on the pillow, and like a blanket, I felt this anxiety coming, as if it was going to smother me. And I said, stop, stop. You cannot touch me. I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, stop. And you know, it went. Immediately. It just went. I went to sleep and I slept the whole night. That has happened three times since then. And every time I put my hand out, literally put my hand out and said, Stop, you cannot touch me. I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. You know, as I was preparing this message and I thought, Will I share this testimony? I thought, I know I'll cry and I don't want to cry, but how, how can you help but not be moved by the power of God? And as I was preparing it, 
Anxiety was rising within me because the enemy does not want me to share the truth. But the bottom line is that that the power that is working us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and defeated death and defeated sin and sickness and anxiety and all these things that come against us. And we just need to say, stop. I am covered with the blood of Jesus. You cannot touch me. And that's where we stand. These things are under our feet. We, seat, we are seated in Christ. And so I say together, let us open our eyes to see the truth. Let us open our eyes to see what is available. Not just available, but is at work in us who believe or is available to people who want to accept Christ. And so today, as we begin this, we, God wants us to be the church. And there will be challenges in that, but he has already won the battle. We have this power at work in us who believe and we stand in that truth. And I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and I'm going to pray for us all that we will have our eyes open to see this so that we can live out of it. So that what God has put within us, he can outwork in us every day. And if you want to receive this prayer this morning, I invite you as I'm praying to raise your hand just as a symbol to God to say, yes, open my eyes. Let me see this truth because I need to live more victoriously out of what you have put within me. I don't want to live defeated. I don't want these things to overcome me. I don't need to be afraid of of the darkness because you have defeated it and it's under our feet. Let us pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you for this truth. That because you sacrificed your life and God, you raised Christ from the dead, defeating death and sickness and, and sin, that we can be seated with you in the heavenly realms, in that spiritual place where we can exercise authority over every evil force. And we can stand, we can hold fast. And so today, God, I pray for every person here. I pray for every person whose heart is crying out to you, God, open my eyes so I can see. Lord, may you flood me with light so that I can see this truth that you have put this power in me so that I can live victoriously every day. So that we can take the authority that it's ours and exercise it in the name of Jesus, by the power of the blood of Jesus. And I pray for every person whose hand is raised, God. I pray that you will give them a special portion of your blessing today. That that you'll remind that they are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in those people, in us who believe. And I pray, God, that you will show in a way that is beyond our understanding the truth of this and we can see it more clearly and activate it in our lives every day. We thank you, Lord, for the church. We thank you for what you've called us to be and we want to be faithful to that. And we know that we can be full of faith because you are faithful in everything. And we thank you, God, for being faithful to us. We praise you. And we bless you in Jesus' name.